What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Um, let me ask you very simply, does it feel like the last week of April? No, it feels like we're on Mars. I mean, it just doesn't, like, time does not matter. Location doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I'm just in the same room, and that's it all day long. And so, no, no natural, none of the traditional ways that we track time, passage of time, um, have any significance any longer. Thank you, COVID-19. The only days are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I mean, even that's hard to remember. <laughs> no, it, it's Tuesday, Natalie. Remember, we're on Tuesday. What is a Tuesday? I, Postmates has a special, depending on where you're at, for Taco Tuesday. Okay. You know okay. what's sad? You know, you know what Tuesdays are without Taco? You know what Tuesday Taco Tuesday is without tacos? <laughs> it's just, just Tuesday? Yes. It's horrible. <laughs> It's a very sad time in America. Um, you know what? Uh, I realize, and this is after re-listening to some of our shows and all this other stuff. You know what? I don't think people really need to be reminded about what's going on. I think CNN and um, my evening news does that a pretty good job. Um, so I've told myself to give myself a challenge going to go the whole episode without mentioning either C-word to the current situation. Okay, that's going to be really hard for me, but I'll do my best. Take a a shot every time we fail if you're, you know, whenever you're listening to our show, like they say, it's five o'clock somewhere. A shot of hand sanitizer if you can get some. (laughs) I like it. Just kidding. Please don't do that. (laughs) Yes, save it. You may need it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Natalie, some big news in the world of MMA. Dana White not only says that fights are going down on May 9th, but he pretty much, what is, not just double down, but just quadruple stack the deck. He is saying they are going to do an entire week, May 9th, then Wednesday, May 13th, then the next Saturday, May 16th, and to boot another week later on May 23rd, Four fight cards within two weeks. Three of them within a seven-day span. Um, I'm going to just say, look, I I realize I've done this like every week. I'm not going to do it again. It becomes a whole segment. Logistically, I get nervous because that's a lot of people to be moving and keeping safe. Um, So how are they going to pull it off? I keep, you know, that's the only question that matters. I'm going to talk about the other one. This one for me now, I look at it. And while, yes, I am very happy to have a lot more mixed martial arts than I've had in a long time, I do look at this, Natalie, from about right now, we're two weeks away from the May 13th card. And there's only one or two fights announced. And you're telling me they're about to have a full fight card that day and a full fight card the Saturday. Or even, relatively speaking, you want about, what, at least 10 fights each? Even for like a ESPN Plus card, not a pay-per-view? I, I I am scratching my head. I'll just say bluntly, it's not that guys don't want to fight. I just don't know if that many fighters can make weight and be ready to go out there and go to battle in less than two weeks. I think if anyone can, can pull 
uh, can fill a fight card, it's going to be Dana White and his matchmakers. And you bring up a good point about cutting weight. And so I bet they'll be more flexible and do some catch weights. And hey, maybe, maybe this will be the birth of the 165 division. Maybe that's the only way we're going to get it to happen. Uh, you never know, but that's that's probably the weight that if you're going to have anyone cutting weight, your one, you know, your 155ers can can most likely do that. Um, and and we'll see. Maybe even some 145ers, depending on how big they get. So I believe this is going to sound kooky to say it, but I believe Dana White. I believe in him. He's going to get it done. So not seeing a lineup yet doesn't worry me. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll say this, um, and uh, we'll address this later in the show on how we're going to tackle it next week. These next seven days are absolutely critical because this is where we're honestly going to see, in my opinion, who's actually been able to train hard, who feels like they're not too banged up to really go through with this fight. Um, Because I've been hearing the interviews and we've been seeing it. It's like, hey, you know, not everybody got a call from their manager to be ready to go. They just kind of announced the lineup and took care of the particulars after the fact. So for me, it's like, hey, you know, who is, you know, are all of these guys and girls ready to go? And, you know, to the credit, you know, once again, I'm sure these guys are staying in shape. Everyone's doing what they have to do. Everyone's being optimistic. But once again, you know, under all the circumstances, getting on weight, feeling like you're going to perform, you know, because that's the, there's three hurdles, obviously getting there. Then there's making the weight. Then there's the fact that after everything that's gone on, what if you end up in a 15 or 25 minute full on, you know, neck and neck battle, you know, for supremacy? Are you going to perform to the top level? Are we going to have a lot of good fights? That to, those are the three hurdles left. And I do want to also toss it to this because we were seeing a lot of good signs. Um, this is the first one. I am very confident that the card is going to happen because, you know, one, Florida legalized it. Two, ESPN releasing a statement saying that essentially UFC does have their blessing for May 9th, which is something that obviously they didn't have for April 18th at the, you know, at the final hour. So all of this is pointing well, but this is going to be an interesting one. We're going to always remember this one if it does go off next Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be sort of like back in the day for International Fight Week, you know, when they used to do like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday card and like, even though Saturday was the biggest one, you were kind of a little fatigued by then. But in this instance, they're starting with the big show and then working their way through whatever other fighters, I guess, they have that are ready and willing to fight. But but I don't think we'll get fatigued. I think we're going to be so excited to have sports and to have specifically us as fans of MMA to have UFC back. And, um, I, I, you know, I think it's just going to be really cool. And, yeah, one of those, like, you know, I remember where I was when when the freaking UFC went against all the odds and, and all the scientists, uh, the healthcare, you know, minds and, uh, put on this show and, uh, and with the support of, of ESPN and Disney, let's not pretend that they're not, you know, they're saying they're supporting them. Let's not pretend they haven't been aware and supporting them from the beginning that it was just really an issue of California pulling the plug and, uh, you know, God bless Florida for being, for being available, I guess, <laughs> I guess. I mean, once again, I'm not going to rain on any parades this time. I, you know, we're not stupid. We know all of the things, you know, between here and next Saturday, obviously, in the world going on. 
But um, I'll say it again. I'm very confident that at the very least, May 9th is going to happen. You know, once again, how they pull off, you know, three cards in one week, four in two. <laughs> I just, man, I, I'm still just right here. Just like, I, how? It's going to be quite the show to see. It's going to be quite the story. But um, I am ready for it. And I will leave it at that. It is going to be quite, um, quite something. I'll go ahead and jump the shark now, but I would say this is that if it ends up going off, you know, we'll treat next week's show like a regular fight week. And then, of course, moving forward after that, we can have a conversation about, you know, we might adjust the MMA daily schedule a little bit so that we can, you know, we're not trying to recap three fight cards in one one hour block. We're not Ariel Hawani. We know you guys don't like us for that long. Five hours? Come on. <laughs> I mean, I don't even like binging The Walking Dead for five hours, and I love that show. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a lot of tips in case this, you know, stuff may get worse. That's you know? true. It is. It is helpful for uh, for for an potential potential social, you know, downfall. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. A lot of good. A lot of good uh, knowledge in that show. Mm-hmm. All right, so guys, um, on top, you know, besides that, we're still at least a week and a half from the return of MMA. So what else to talk about but some of the classics? Um, Natalie, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I go through these and I think, okay, what's a, you know, overall, what's got a good set of fights that we could go back and revisit? What has, you know, big names, it's got a good story, something that's actually fun to discuss, not just, you know, XYZ fight card that happened and, you know, maybe we kind of just moved on when it was over. So there was one, I almost made this one, Frankie Edgar, Grey Maynard 3. The reason I didn't pick it was because I realized that the same problem we had, we went back to back almost triple weeks in 2016 fight cards the Frankie Edgar one happened the same time as last uh, last year's last week's card, and I believe oh, okay. it was the Hendo Shogun. Yes, and so I was like, nope, I we're not about to just keep doing that. So <laughs> that's why I settled on this one: UFC versus Strike Force on Fox. This one, I'm not gonna lie, I should have had it up there, but essentially about 2011, 2012. I think it's 2013. Hold on, I have it here. 2013. 2013. For the apologies. topology, 420, 2013. 420. Oh my gosh, yes. So I know, right? <laughs> recent. So you know, they kind of had the anniversary, but yes. Yeah, so seven years. Um, this one was the big one because even though the UFC had already absorbed, you know, they essentially bought out Strike Force and. You know, they essentially closed shop. They brought the best fighters on the roster to UFC for short contracts. Then everyone started negotiating and going other places. But this was the first real big, you know, several stars against several stars of the UFC, several stars of Strike Force. Plus, they were kind of doing it in Strike Force's old backyard in San Jose. So you did have a lot of local guys like Daniel Cormier like the Diaz brothers, like Gilbert Melendez, you know, getting the home field advantage, but they're up against these established guys of the UFC, of the Octagon. So it became a very fun card overall. And um, you know what? This one, I do distinctly remember it. I do remember, you know, it was on Fox, so network television. 
And you know what? I think that there was a lot of intrigue, especially with the main event, because he had Benson Henderson. He was coming off the win, I believe, over, yeah, over Nate Diaz. He'd already beaten Frankie Edgar back-to-back. But now you had Gilbert Melendez, who arguably, he was right there with Eddie Alvarez, the best lightweight not in the UFC. And when they finally did collide, you had a very interesting five-round battle. So I'll toss it to you, Natalie. What did you think of Benson Henderson versus Gilbert Melendez? It was a, it was a fun fight. I thought it was super, super, super close. And uh, I guess I'd have to watch it again. I feel like it could have gone either way. And I don't know what the feeling was at the end of it, you know, at the, at the time. But um, the, my big takeaway, honestly, is that um, I really love Benson Henderson. I'm a big fan. That wasn't my takeaway. But I'm, I'm prefacing it by saying I'm a big fan of his. I feel like a lot of times more often than not, I find myself wanting more from him. Like I feel, you know, that amazing flexibility and those powerful legs and the speed that he has that he could do more, be more aggressive. And, and he was in certain parts of, of some of the rounds, but then, you know, I, I, my, my, my issue is that there seems to be like a lack of a killer instinct sometimes. And it gets a little frustrating. Obviously he was great. He was a champion for a while. Um, he he's a he's a legend of the sport and of his division but there's just something there that and i've seen it more and more in uh during his beltro career there's just a little bit of like come on man like i know you've got more in there give it a little more uh more oomph but but in general it was an exciting back and forth five rounder that went to decision benson got the decision and then the the ps de resistance right at the end he uh he has to go see about a girl and so a very exciting end to to, to that victory for him getting to keep his belt, propose to his girlfriend, and the crowd was kind of booing, you know, because they didn't agree with the decision, but then, you know, it's kind of hard to boo after that. So that was, uh, it was fun. I'll say that. Yeah, um, you know what? It was quite a, well, for one, the ending, I think that you win no matter what when you get the girl to say that, yes, I'm ready to deal with you for the rest of my life. So I do want to point that out. But um, with this fight, uh, I think the thing that, um, I think the thing that always got to me for as far as he went was the style of his boxing. And, you know, I think you know what I mean when you watch it. When you're watching Benson, the way he throw punches, it looks like he's kind of just stretching out the elbow rather than it looks like he doesn't get the kind of oomph behind it like you see from some other guys, you know, Gilbert that night and, you know, pick just about anybody. They just look a little different, like the ball is being thrown a little differently if you're comparing it to something like baseball, like his form is different. And I always, you know, like, look, for the lightweight division, I don't think it's a secret. He doesn't have the longest reach. He's very explosive in his legs, but, you know, he did a little, he was kind of the jack of all trades. He's a great athlete, but, you know, he didn't always just try to wrestle you. He wasn't trying to just force a submission game. He kind of just used a little bit of everything. And because he was such a good athlete, he did overcome a lot of these guys like Melendez, like Frankie Edgar, like Nate Diaz, who are very, very high-level guys, especially at the time he was catching them. So, you know, I do want to preface that. In terms of Gilbert Melendez, I just think he had a good strategy. I think he had an answer for the takedowns of Benson. I think that, um, relatively speaking, he took the kicks rather well. They landed for Benson, but I never felt like Gilbert was really hampered. I felt like he could still come forward. 
Uh, let me look at my notes right here. Um, how did I score that one? I did end up scoring it once again for Benson, but that one was a very close one. So I remember I had it, so rescoring it seven years later. I had Gilbert round one, Benson just barely round two. I gave him round three, I gave Melendez round four, and I gave Henderson round five. For me, the big ones were rounds two and four. I think that those are the uh, more controversial ones. Round two, Gilbert was doing his thing, but you remember they have a big exchange late that seemed to favor Benson. And then in round four, um, it was a close one, but overall it was a Gilbert Melendez round until the very end. Benson, you know, he knocks him down. He has that late combo working. Um, so it was close. And I do understand why a lot of people, they were like, ah, that wasn't enough to steal rounds. Gave it to Gilbert Melendez that night. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely a, a, a close one. And was, do you recall, was it like a, I mean, it felt like it in the, in the arena. Was it pretty controversial after that? Or did Benson just kind of move on with his career and defending his belt? If I'm not mistaken, he ended up fighting Anthony Pettis after that, and I think that's when he lost it. Oh, okay. So yeah, was... but um, All right. that was the whole thing because he was supposed to fight T.J. Grant, who you guys remember earned a title shot but never fought again. Um, and you know the lightweight division, Pettis to RDA to you know to Eddie to Connor to Tony Habib now. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Okay, one last note about this. Only sure. because every time I see his name, I get a chuckle. I get a chuckle. Um, when the Reebok deal first came to um, to pass, when the uniforms were presented, I should say, if you recall, there were a lot of errors with the the, the names of the fighters on their jerseys, and it was like uh, like I think Anderson Silva and Leota Machida were like combined with the names. I think were like the nickname. You mean, you mean Anderson Aldo? Okay, there you go. That was the one. I can't remember, but there was a bunch of them. But yeah. my favorite was Gilbert Melendez being printed on a jersey as Giblert Melendez. And I thought that was so hilarious. And from then on, ever since I see him, him I think I just call him, actually, I just call him Giblert. Um, and at the home here, I refer to him as Giblert Melendez. So just, uh, just so you know. <laughs> I've seen him at a bunch. I've seen him because I've been at, I've covered two of his wife Carrie's fights for Bellator and he's been there and um, Combate Americas. He's a nice dude. I admire what he's done to be that crossover. One of the first guys, Fox, ESPN, and then Combate have all the broadcast jobs. Um, but yeah, they, um, there's not that many Gilberts in the world and I'm not going to lie. I think traditionally you don't, see hear the name and think that's the name of a killer i'll give you a true story had this friend back in college buff dude looks like he sleeps doing bicep curls legit on his birth certificate on his driver's license the name he was given in the hospital when he was born his name was rex wow that dude looked like a killer not gonna lie, there's not too many Gilberts out there that you think, man, they might murder me this time. <laughs> Just saying. But are, are there any Giblerts? Because that's, that's funnier. I mean... I, I might be scared of a Giblert. I might be scared of a Giblert. I mean, when you have a name like that, anything could happen, so I get what you're saying. 
But no, um, I, I do want to add this note before we move on to some of the other fights is that um, I think it was interesting because when look at this fight. These are the two best lightweights available at the time, right? You know, big fight, Strikeforce champion, UFC champion, a lot of credentials for both of them. And now look at the big fight. You know, ironically, we're coming up on the lightweight title fight, Tony Habib, or in this case now, Tony versus Justin. And I guess, do you feel like... Would it match up? Like, these guys were at the top of their game at the time. Do you feel like the game has evolved, or do you feel like it's just timing, and 2013 Benson, 2013 Gilbert Melendez could compete with today's Tony and Habib? I don't don't think that they could. The game has evolved, but more specifically, like, with these four people you're mentioning, the, the personalities and fight styles of Ferguson and Gaethje is straight killer. And and Gilbert has a a brawler mentality. Benson is smooth. That's you know his his nickname is correct. And so being a brawler and being really like a just a well a versatile MMA fighter like Benson, when you throw them into to the cage with two dudes that are all of those things, plus a little bit more, well, a lot more talented, just because of the evolution of the game, and then they're killers. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a, a Tony uh, Justin all the way. Every time, ten out of ten will beat Benson and and Gilbert on their best day. You know, to me, when I looked at it, and it's like, hey, this is the lightweight title fight. Um, when I was watching it, I thought to myself, like, you know, okay, like, what makes Benson dangerous here, and why was he on top? Same thing for Gilbert. And I think that you know, you kind of maybe get lost in all of the, you know, just saying, oh, well, there's so many guys that lightweight. Like, no, really, look at it. Look how athletically gifted and multifaceted Tony Ferguson is. Look at his game, all of his fights. He doesn't just strike. I mean, look at the Kevin Lee fight, which is rather recent for his, uh, you know, for his resume. And look what he was able to do off of his back. But obviously, everyone's worried about his striking and he's coming from all angles, right? Or with Justin Gaethje, you know, He's a great wrestler, but look at his kickboxing. Look at his one-shot stopping power. Man, is it, you know, like these guys in the lightweight division, somehow it, it was always competitive, but now it's an even more dangerous weight class. And I think it was very interesting, but it's like, man, I mean, look at this 2013 guys and now think, hey, look at the lightweight division. Somehow the guys got more dangerous. And I just think that it was something to observe. I was like, hey, you know, this is a testament to how the division has grown. Look at the level of the guys we have on top right now. Yeah, it's a murderer's row for sure. No, but um, that was a good one. Benson Henderson took the W that night in 2013, as Natalie has pointed out. Um, but that was only, uh, I, I'm not going to lie, that was a bit of the saving grace for the UFC. Because the rest of the main card, it really was, you know, Strike Force's night to, night to shine. You then had the co-main event, former champion Frank Mir taking on this young guy in his career. He's had a couple fights by the name of Daniel Cormier. So Natalie, first off, I don't know what it is, but I feel like uh, Mr. Cormier was a little more svelte. He looked a lot more like that guy on the poster that looks like the rock that they dropped on Twitter. What do you think? Yeah, actually, absolutely. In fact, I had to like double check that it was a heavyweight bout. I was like, wait a minute, because <laughs> he's looking great. Svelte is, is the right word. Um, 
it was really nice to see young Cormier fight. I haven't seen any of this. Uh, this is almost almost ten years ago. I hadn't seen any of this uh, this full fight of this this Cormier, especially at heavyweight in the UFC. So it was actually really fun. He owned Frank Mir, just just did his thing. What I was really surprised by, impressed with, is his body work. It's not something that I'm used to seeing now. Uh, as of late, the last five years or so, the speed um, and attention he paid to Frank Mir's body, those hands, just bam, 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 right, left, right, left, right, left, the knees. It was really, really impressive. And, um, you know, I don't know why he has not abandoned that strategy, but sort of, you know, veered away from it. I guess maybe he just felt specifically with Frank Mir there wasn't a threat there. And so he was free to do that. It was a good fight. I know the, that Herb Dean, was it Herb Dean or, or um, oh boy, uh, um, Beltran. Beltran, yeah. yeah. Um, kept Beltran. separating them and, uh, you know, eh. nowadays you probably get a boo for that. But back then, you know, it, it was fair to separate them. Let's get a little action. But what I like about Cormier, you know, is that even when he holds you up against the cage, he's always hitting you. He's never just pressing you there and, and biding time. He's always being aggressive, always trying to touch you to hurt you. And uh, you got to give it to Frank Mir for being able to withstand that onslaught, especially the body work, like I mentioned. But then Frank Mir comes back in the third round or, or end of second, I can't remember, with some vicious kicks to the to Cormier's body, like three in, the, three in a row. You know, if he had kept that pressure on, if he had been able to keep away from the cage, he, he would have had a real shot there. Uh, but my favorite moment, the, uh, the Cormier, like, flying roundhouse kick. I didn't even know he could jump that high. That was impressive. So it was actually really fun to see. And, um, you know, spoiler alert, he won unanimous decision. So that was great. I'll say this. Uh, as impressive as that is, nothing beats Derek Lewis taking flight like he's Michael Jordan. That's I what mean, it made me think of, actually, is Derek. I was like, yeah, so that's what it looked like when Derek Lewis did it, too. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, but my ACL hurts when I see Derek Lewis do that. It all, it's like, what? That, this is... And then, you know, he's still good. His cardio is all right. And I'm like, what? I can't believe it. Um, for this one, uh, you know what? DC just looked good. I'm sorry, but um, if you remember, Frank Mir was barely coming off a title shot against Junior Dos Santos. So... You know, by all accounts, he was still a dangerous guy. He still had a lot left in the tank. He had he was coming off a year layoff, but this is a guy who, on paper, he's supposed to still be a big threat in the heavyweight division. And for Daniel Cormier, you know, uh, and we'll talk about it in a, a second, he didn't exactly have the resume we know him for now. He was going into the deep end against a guy who has been there and done that against the biggest names. And really, he handled business. Um, until that third round, it was all systems go for DC. Frank Mir just had no answer. Um, obviously, he got himself going in the third, did some damage with those kicks. But at a certain point, I was almost like, Frank, I would even recommend you pull guard because you have to know you are losing this fight in the clinch just being tied up by DC. Yeah, it didn't make sense why he... I should say, you know, I say allow himself, but maybe, you know, easier said than done. Uh, but it, it felt like he was just allowing himself to be held against the cage. He's big, he's strong. I know DC has the wrestling prowess and, and can find the right pressure points to keep you against the cage, but he had plenty of opportunities. You could even hear Joe Rogan getting frustrated with Frank Mir. He had plenty of opportunities where he could have 
pushed Cormier away. You know, he had enough time to push him away before he was held against the cage. He had enough time to separate, and he wasn't doing it. Obviously, you know, he had been in the fight for a while, you know, fatigue, mentally, physically, you know, plenty of reasons why. But as a complete outsider who's never fought, you know, <laughs> an uh, armchair quarterback over here, I was uh, I was getting frustrated too. Like, come on, man, just just get away from the cage. But easier said than done, right? I mean, I, I get it. You you know, physically, it looks like he should be able to. He's got the experience. You feel like he's got the IQ to do it. Um, it's a lot of subtleties. And I do think at the end of the day, you just can't underestimate what it's like to have a guy with the grip of DC wrapped around you. Like, look, I mean, you look at the two of them squared off against each other. Frank Mir does look like he should be able to just gobble DC down, right? He's just a much bigger, more imposing physical specimen. It's clearly not the case. There's a lot more to it. And look, I mean, let's say like it is. You look at Daniel Cormier, like what's the one that they teased him about? The daddest man alive? There's a reason why. It's not like he, you know, you see DC walking down the street and he's uh, a Brock Lesnar type and just, you know, muscles practically falling off of him. But he gets a hold of you. Those years, a whole lifetime of wrestling and that grip, you know, you just feel like, you know, he could chew through your bones with them if he really has to. And that's just kind of his thing. Um, so, Natalie, good uh, time to segue for a short story because um, we're almost done with our review. And what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> and I've admitted this. Um, I don't know if, while you've been on the show, but I brought it up before for the longest time. And I mean quite a long time. I was never sold on Daniel Cormier. Apart from the Josh Barnett fight in uh, Strike Force, I really felt like he had been given one of the best uh, curated runs to a title shot against John Jones. Um, when you look at his career, he got a lot of guys when it seemed like they were kind of on the downswing. I mean, Frank Mir, okay. Look how many losses he has right after the loss to DC. You know, he's not getting the most dangerous Frank Mir, right? Or if you look at some of the other guys, Dan Henderson, same thing. He was like one in four, gets a fight with DC. Uh, just there seem to be so many of those in there. And then suddenly, though, they're like hyping it up, undefeated Olympic wrestler Daniel Cormier. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, kind of, you know, but... Uh, I'll be honest, at this point in his career, I was not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'll say it right now, it wasn't until the win over Alexander Gustafsson, so he's already beaten Rumble Johnson, that I would realize, like, you know what? Like, the second John Jones was out of the picture, and you see DC fighting these guys, you realize, man, he, was ju he really is on this level. It just, you know... Maybe he wasn't doing it to the guys that I would have rather him see him against leading up to a title shot. So I want to toss it to you because it took me a while to get on the DC train. Was it the same for you? Yeah, it was actually. Uh, it took me a while. I think for me it was when he beat um, Rumble the first time because Rumble was so, which is just like this fear and menacing. I mean, he's a nice guy, but like the menacing in the cage with that power. And that like primal, like animalistic, you know, uh, style of fighting. And so when he beat him handily, when he basically made him quit, 
I was like, oh, damn, okay, this is for real. So so I, I came around a little bit before you did, but but yeah, same, not not sold. Uh, now, I was also not, um, just personality-wise, not a fan of John Jones. And so um, in that respect, because I just, it's in my nature to root for the underdog, so I was rooting for Cormier when they first fought, um, but um, was not like a fan of his. And when I became, uh, I would say, when I when I came to like him, Rumble, but when I really, really became a, a big fan of his, when <laughs> when he beat um, when he beat, I know it's already late, but when he beat Stipe, it was just such a cool, like awesome win, and I was really happy for him. I will say this though, I, I every time I say I, I'm a fan of Daniel Cormier's, I have to always remind myself, like to me, it's a real, it's a real thing because he, you know, when he had that fight with Rumble. He put his weight on that towel and he made weight, but it, it wasn't to me legitimate. And so whatever it is, what it is, everyone just kind of sweeps it under the rug because he's such a nice guy. He's an honorable guy. But, you know, that's still something I think about, right? Like he, he cheated. I think that's fair to say. At least I feel it's fair to say. I think it's when, you know, people try to outline all the times that LeBron and Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook travel, but they never call it. It's like, guys... It's called a superstar treatment. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Every time I watch basketball, I'm like, hey, that guy just traveled. Every it's time like, they go out for layups, I'm like, they're traveling. It's like, it's LeBron. Get over it. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> no, but, um, my husband tells me. <laughs> it, it's one of those things, right? Uh, I was there when um, he kind of opened the door for himself for us to ask him in a scrum. And a reporter was like, so you admit you, di- you did grab the towel. And DC gave us a story like, man, that weight cut was so hard, I couldn't see anything. So I didn't see a towel. And it's like, <laughs> Cormier. Oh, man. Come no, on, man. man. Come the thing on. with him is that he's not like straight up denying. Like I saw an interview after when someone asked him about it too, and he like smirked. Like he couldn't hide the smile. So he's not like outright denying it, but he's also not admitting anything. And so the only reason I bring it up is because it was for a championship. And, and if you don't make weight in a championship fight, you know, you don't, you don't get to keep your, you don't get to fight for your belt, right? You have to vacate it. So, so I just think about Rumble Johnson and, and all that, but you know, he, may, he might've lost the fight anyway. I'd like to point out Michael Jordan also pushed off that one guy on Utah before he hit the shot and won a championship <laughs> too and wasn't called a foul. So I think you got to get over this, Natalie. When, uh, you, when you're a, a Daniel Cormier, when you're a Cormier or a Jordan you just get preferential treatment. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know what? I would never like say it to his face. And so if I don't have the guts to say it to his face, then I should stop talking about it. So you're right. So you have strength on the podcast. I'm a... When we're in that Daniel Cormier scrums like DC, she wants to tell you something about that time with the towel. Go I mean, ahead. I could be nice about it. I just Good. feel like, listen, man, listen, I love you. But like, we all know you cheated. Anyway, moving on. Go ahead and go ahead and tell him, Natalie. Get get her, DC, get her. No, I'm not. I don't have the guts to do it. And so that's why I should just shut up about it. And then I'm going to tell Rhonda that you're saying mean things and let her handle business. Whoa. Because you know Rhonda will, hey, because Rhonda doesn't have the same restrictions DC has. Rhonda will come after you. Yeah, she'll throw goat poo at me. And that's oh it. My gosh, that, that's it. I don't want any of that. Yeah. No, sir. Um, but yeah, you know what, uh, on that final note, I will say this, um, the thing that turned everything around for Daniel Cormier, remember how he tried to go heel for a minute? Like, I think it was before the second Jones fight around the Gustafson fight, he was kind of trying to be like, 
Yes. All right, you guys could boo me. You guys can hate me and blah, 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 right? And, um, you know, people, I'm sorry, but it backfired on them because people were like, no, we legit hate you, not like pro wrestling hate you. We really, you know, can't wait for you to get knocked out. And um, what happened, though? You know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people accepted, hey, you know, because it was John versus DC, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, John won the argument. He won the fight. He's the one who's the best. You are the, quote, paper champ. You didn't beat the guy to become the guy. When so many things kept John Jones out of the octagon, quite bluntly, it changed everything for DC because suddenly it's like, nah, legit, DC is the guy winning the fights. DC is fighting everybody here. DC is the one showing up to perform and that changed everything he kind of got to be more of himself and now we're listening to him every monday with ariel helwani so yeah that's exactly right in fact in fact um that probably worked on me too where not only it wasn't just the rumble defeat you know him beating rumble but but the constantly you know consistently being there being there and like fighting and defending and not messing up in such ways that were so destructive, like John Jones. And so it's just like, you know what? I like this guy. He's a good guy. Okay, moving on. Yeah, it's because, you know, people were people like to pit, you know, you versus them, him versus him. And when that kind of happened, all the people on the other team were like, I can't, what am I going to do, talk trash? Like, what am I going to talk about, my guy? You know? Yeah, my guy who's in jail? No. Yeah, so when all that happened, it just became, you know, things really changed for DC. But, you know... UFC debut for Daniel Cormier goes on to be a double champ. How about that? Uh, Natalie, this night also had one of the more amazing finishes. If you think about it, big picture. Josh Thompson taking on one Stockton bad boy, Mr. Nate Diaz. Nate, if I'm not mistaken, he was coming off a title shot also. Josh had been one of their guys in Strike Force, fighting a lot of these big name guys that they had over there. But it was Nate Diaz. It was the guy who flips you off with both fingers while he's got you in a triangle. Um, and man, did Josh Thompson have a strategy that night? Talk to me. That was an amazing fight, and you know, confession time. Which we get a lot of these as we look backwards uh, during this this period of our lives here, because I haven't, you know, I started MMA late. So confession time, I hadn't seen Josh Thompson fight before. I've only seen him as the guy who behind the desk at Bellator. And uh, I fact, actually didn't even see him fight as a, uh, when he was a Bellator fighter. And according to his Wikipedia, he retired in January of this year. I didn't know that. I thought he was already retired and just doing commentary on the desk there. But in any case, it was a super exciting fight. I was, it was cool to see Josh Thompson's style. He was fast, slick, a lot of movement. And uh, it's definitely the kind of fight style that would annoy someone like Nate Diaz who wants you to just, you know, you know, square up and brawl. And, uh, and Josh Thompson did what everyone tries to do to Nate Diaz because of how he stands so heavy on the, on the lead leg and he started kicking his leg. Um, but he was fast and he landed some, some great shots and then most notably in the first round a, a really cool, awesome head kick that didn't seem to phase Diaz. But we know he has a good poker face. Didn't seem to phase him. But as the fight continued, I think it was round two. You can correct me if I'm wrong here. At round two, Thompson landed another crazy head kick. This one square on the forehead. Started a, a cause bleeding right away in uh, uh, Nate Diaz. And then Thompson just finished it off with two really accurate hard shots to the face, to the nose, as 
as Diaz was sort of falling down. He began the onslaught to finish the fight. Uh, I think this was the Bel- was this Beltran. I think this was Beltran refing. I don't know, but anyway, one of the refs that we know and well, love and uh, know well and love uh, came in and stopped the fight. But surprisingly, to me anyway, coming from a Diaz corner, especially someone on his corner threw in the towel. Uh, the ref didn't see it; he'd already stepped in to stop the fight. But that was very surprising to me, and uh, it's not, not something you see a lot in MMA. At least not I don't think not something I've seen a lot in MMA. But uh, it was a shocking fight. It was fun. And I was shocked to see Josh Thompson finish Nate Diaz, especially the way he did, and to see the towel get thrown in. What did, uh, what did you think about it? I mean, yeah, when you talk about the fight, it's like, you know, the, who's in his corner? Like, this is the scrap pack. This is his brother. These are guys who the whole team is known for, you know, you could kill me in the octagon before I tap out, right? It's that kind of mentality. So the fact that you saw that is very, you know, that's crazy. Um, for me, you know, there's certain performances you just remember, man, that guy was on fire. And I'm sorry, but and Josh had a great career, but my goodness, that guy was just on fire. He got, I mean, how do you get a head kick that many times, you know, like against a guy who I know he wants to brawl, but he's not stupid in Nate Diaz. Right. So, man, the fact that he caught him so good in the first round, then he gets him again, and he's still got that opening late in the second to hurt him the third time, drop him, get the barrage. Uh, He didn't really take damage either, Josh. And remember, this is at 155. This is where Nate Diaz, he, he hurts you. You know, respectfully at welterweight, um, his cardio may be great. He may feel like he takes the punches better. But his size, at least when we've seen him, doesn't really translate to the more natural uh, welterweight athletes. So at 155, this is supposed to be where those punches really sting. And really, Josh just didn't look any worse for wear. He took everything well. And man, he just lit him up with those kicks. I was very impressed with that one. And yeah, just... Dude, you know, one of the only the only time Nate has ever been stopped besides uh, you know, certain doctor stoppage when um oh, for that BMF. Yeah. <laughs> Man, what a stoppage it was though. I I I did rewatch that ending a few times because of the the towel being thrown. I wanted to see, you know, what 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 his corner was seeing um, to really try and feel that. And it, it was pretty vicious, man. The, the, the kick to the forehead, as, as Joe Rogan described it, shin to dome, uh, it was pretty vicious. And you could see that it, it like, um, I don't know how to say it in English. In Spanish, you would say, like, uh, tonteado. Like, it made him like a dummy. Like, it, he was just kind of dumbfounded. He didn't know where he was, really. Just took and, his legs uh, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and it, was, it was pretty intense. So I can kind of see why someone from, you know, a fighter's corner would throw in the towel. But again, very surprising that it was someone from the scrap pack who did it. Yeah, but um, no, it was just quite, quite the show. And certainly it got everybody buzzing. Because remember, Josh was getting it from the crowd. They did not like that he didn't want to bang with Nate Diaz, who was clearly taunting him. And, you know, but when he put him down the way nobody else had before... Hey, people were ready now, so it was quite something. Um, Natalie, can I tell you about a few other things that happened that night? Yes, please. We had a future two-time challenger headline the prelims, Mr. Chad Mendez. 
gets a big win over Darren Elkins. That was on his route back to the title. We had guys like future flyweight title challenger Joseph Benavidez. We had this guy, I think he still had short hair, Mr. Jorge Masvidal fought that night. We had a future champion in TJ Dillashaw. And this guy, the curtain jerker, first fight of the night, nobody's there. A guy by the name of Yol Romero. That's right. UFC debut. <laughs> yeah, what a lame card. <laughs> My goodness. You Jeepers. see, that's why you show up early, right? Yeah, exactly. You know what? Uh, I'll tell you a story. Um, I had tickets with my friend to see the last UFC in Los Angeles, which was uh, the TJ Cody, uh, Demetrius Cejudo 2 card. And, um, you know, my friend wanted to eat. And, you know, so we're hanging out and uh, we got lunch at um, the yard house over there by the Staples Center. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, I want to go. And she's like, well, I want to eat. And um, so we missed the prelims. We missed the first fight. And it features someone from my hometown, and she was fighting this UFC newcomer by the name of Wei Li Zhang. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I've been there, uh, and um, I wouldn't say embarrassing because I'm proud to be a fan and, uh, of New Kids on the Block. That's where this story is coming from. But I never saw them in concert as a kid. I was... I was, even though I'm old, I was still really young when they were in concert. I was like first grade or second grade when my sister went. In any case, they came back a few, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, like 10 years ago, maybe seven years ago, something like that. So my friends and I all got tickets to go and there was an opening act and one of my friends wanted to see this act and I was like, nah, let's go get, you know, drinks or whatever at the concession stand. Like we're already there, but we, oh, we vetoed her and the opening act Nuke is on the block at that time was Lady Gaga. And didn't go see her. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Cruel yep. irony, huh? I know. So that would have been awesome. <laughs> would have been pretty awesome. Uh, it is what it is, man. Yep. Bailey Zhang, Lady Gaga. We'll never get to live You know, what, when I saw that, I was like, man. <laughs> how often does that happen? You were enjoying your artichoke dip at Yard House while, while Wei Li Zhang was making her debut. I can't even remember what I ate. It was some I forget what it was called, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, it didn't taste as good as it would have felt to watch Wei Li start her UFC career after yeah. the fact, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, but um, eh, life. You know what? I'll tell you one good one. Um, I Probably my first UFC event... Uh, Machida versus Shogun in Los Angeles also, um, coincidentally. And uh, there was this, uh, uh, one of the fights I was really looking forward to, not a lot of people talking about it, um, two guys that weren't very exciting, but it was really cool, uh, Chael Sonnen defeating Yushin Okami. Ah. And you know what, after that, you know, that was a little before he was, in, you know, two years before he would be en route to... Um, uh, title stardom and calling out and trash talking Anderson Silva. Not so, bad. Yeah. You yeah, missed so. that one too. No, no, I got there early. I oh, did catch that okay. one. I That's did hard. catch That's that one. I got lucky. Okay. Nice. But yeah, I remember it's like, oh, you know, I am glad I talked them into staying in their seat for that one. <laughs> anyway, this walk down memory lane has been fun. Uh, Natalie, I've got nothing but time to watch some TV in uh, quarantine. How about you? Well, actually, you'll be happy to hear, I think, 
that I'm four episodes in, five, into Tiger King. <gasps> so managed to carve some time out yesterday. Joe took a nap for like two hours. So I was able to <laughs> make some good progress. What you think? Okay, I got to tell you, the first episode, <laughs> at the end of it, I was like, this I was like, this is kind of weird. Like, it's just getting really repetitive. It wasn't getting to the point. They're just talking about tigers over and over again. And so I was like, I'm still going to watch this because it's like a pop culture thing. But if it wasn't for that, I would have probably tuned out after the first episode. But I'm glad I stuck around because then uh, it, it's getting pretty juicy. And, uh, man, are those people, just everybody, everybody on that, on that whole thing is just, you know, they're strange folks, you know. <laughs> It's very interesting. Do I think Carol Baskin killed her husband at first? I did. And now I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm not so sure. So I'm going to wait to see what happens as the, the series progresses. <laughs> well, if, if she didn't kill him, then where did he go, you cool cat? Well, he told the handyman. Oh, sorry, cool kitten. <laughs> he told the handyman, I'm going, to, I could, I'm going to pull off the slickest disappearing act or something, something to that effect. No one's going to know where I went. And so that's kind of a weird thing to say to somebody. I don't know. I don't know. Tiger King 2 next year. Uh, you know, this Carol lady is, is cuckoo. And so I, would I be surprised if it turned out she killed somebody? No. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. <laughs> you know what I find unfortunate is that I feel like they're going to find what's left many years later. And it's just going to be like a featured story on Yahoo. And that's going to be it. Like, you know, like, for example, everyone likes the Unsolved Mystery or like Jack the Ripper, right? Yeah. And then it's like a little thing when they finally figure out who did it. And it's like, uh, you know, it's not as fun anymore. That's what I worry about. It's like, watch, they're going to find him randomly and it's not going to be uh, groundbreaking now that not everybody's talking about it. So It'll be, yeah, I guess it depends how it all comes up. And it depends if she's still alive when they find, if they find, you know, evidence. Um, if we're all hanging out at home again, like we are right now, it could be, uh, could be bigger news than, than if everyone's just going about their business. Let me just say to you right now, I really hope that we're not about to do this twice in one lifetime. <laughs> anyway. I hope, I hope so too. And be and careful. We'll just... You haven't, you have we haven't slipped yet. Okay. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I realize, like, wait, what's happening? No, but, um. Uh, so we have some MMA television for you guys. <laughs> Awkward segue. Um, Natalie, why don't you talk about the show I, I picked out for us to watch on TV? Okay. This show is, uh, I remember the show. I remember when it premiered, I happened to randomly watch the first 10 minutes of it. It's called blind spot. And it starts off with a woman. Um, or I should say it starts off with like a suspicious giant duffel bag in the middle of times square. And there's all these like police um, guns pointed at it and helicopter lights and all this stuff. And, and out of the bag comes a woman and I think she's naked and she's covered head to toe in tattoos. And it's like, that's your setup for this, the, this story. Um, but I actually didn't know what the show was about because after that I changed the channel. So thanks to you. And we're watching here season two, episode 20 called in words, drown eye of blind spot. Um, I've sort of come to understand a little bit more about what this show is, is about there's some kind of secret group that uh, had kidnapped her and erased her memory, but she was tattooed with like all the information about future crimes. It's really strange. In any case, the show is actually still going on. 
Uh, I think it's one season left. Yep. But the episode that you picked um, has a, a special cameo by our favorite female trailblazing MMA fighter, Ronda Rousey. And uh, it was a good surprise for me because you didn't you didn't give on uh, on what it was or why it was related to MMA. So it was uh, it was fun to see. She's in uh, she's how do I say a part of the criminal element. So she's currently in jail as this episode begins or just being booked into jail. And uh, here's what I thought was pretty funny. She ends up doing. Typical, like, what you see of Ronda Rousey when she's on TV, which is, like, getting a fight, getting a couple of fights, does a hip toss here and there, does an arm bar, and then delivers some lines. So I actually thought that was pretty cool. I was – I've seen – because I'm a big Ronda Rousey fan, I, I try to check out everything she does on the screen, big or small. And so this performance, I will say, I think was pretty good. She does better when she's trying to be angry or aggressive versus – conversational and friendly and having to have like a banter that doesn't suit her very well. So I thought her performance here was, was pretty, pretty nice. What did you think? Um, you know what? Yes, I will agree with you. Rhonda just is a lot easier when she could just be gruff and tough and give you a little bit of that signature scowl that we know. Um, full disclaimer. So similar to the 30 for thirties back when I was on my online network days, I was actually, you know, hosting the show that every week reviewed and talked about everything Blind Spot. Okay. Um, ironically, I did not. Um, wh- where were we? I believe, yeah, it was actually um, before this episode. Uh, you know that uh, I was no longer doing the show, so I never actually got to talk about this particular one with all the bells and whistles. But you know, it was um very into it, and so if you've never watched it, pretty much um the tattooed girl in the duffel bag goes on to be Jane Doe. How ironic! And she becomes uh, you know an FBI agent, and essentially the group that put her in the duffel bag. It's a whole long game that they're playing to essentially use her, uh, kind of you know, again. Without her knowing, she is helping them, even though she's trying to bring them down with a lot of the ways that they've set it up. Ah, so a lot of twists and turns and a lot of the characters, the agents on the FBI, in the FBI, the uh, terrorist faction, Sandstorm in the show. Um, her brother ends up being, you know, first he's with them, then he loses his memory like she did. And it becomes a whole thing that happened at the end of the episode. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. And then, of course, in this particular episode, Ronda Rousey's character is someone very integral to being able to find clues to this group so they could bring them down. That is why, you know, they introduce it and they infiltrate a jail to try to get information out of her on the DL. Um, I enjoyed it. I think the pacing was good. I loved the Ronda Rousey, the, um, the kitchen jail fight scene. Like, she does, like, a throw like over her shoulder to the girl onto the table i was like you know what that looked cool um very good you could tell it's her she's doing her own stunts um yeah it was cool yeah it was a good little narrative too i think that she got shanked yes and she survived and still went to trade blows with the uh the series lead yeah and you know what i will say she got shanked. She escaped prison with the help of the uh, FBI agent who was who was um, in there as a undercover. Thank you. The dude that was her boyfriend, 
I don't believe for a second that Ronda Rousey, he was kind of a dweeb. <laughs> that casting was not uh, accurate. I, you know, come on, man. Give her someone. She, she was acting. like twice his size. No offense to her, only offense to him and the casting. Like, Excuse give me a break. Excuse me, Natalie. Maybe he makes her laugh. <laughs> maybe he treats her right. Maybe he keeps her safe and out of jail usually. Yeah, then Maybe he accidentally he, shot her in the shoulder. So Well, yeah. you know, I didn't say that it lasted. I just said that <laughs> maybe he made her happy. Yep. No, but um, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. He's not Travis Brown, for He's sure. He's not Travis Brown. He's not even Brandon Schaub, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, but um, good stuff. And I picked it because we get a lot of Rhonda in the episode. You know, it's she's very prevalent throughout. She has a whole episode narrative not just there for a couple minutes at the beginning and that's it <coughs> spencer um wait a no, minute what about the, the, the order, order I episode i know i'm just giving you <laughs> although to your credit that's like a 40 minute episode versus a two-hour movie so exactly but no i'm just teasing yeah but um i i think it was good and it was a fun episode it leaves you with a nice cliffhanger but you don't need to have watched too much of the other stuff to enjoy a uh, good little action no, um, definitely not. We're able to jump right in. I did have a couple other things that I made me just actually write this stuff down here. The tattoos on this lady as an actor and as a makeup person, like that's a lot of work. You know, I know you only see what's exposed over her clothing, but you know, they got to put that tattoo on her neck on every, every day, every take. That's just a lot. And her hands, she has like these honeycomb tattoos on her hands. Like that's a lot, right? I think those are badass, but yeah, I hear you. Those are cool. Yeah. Um, the uh, two more things, just please indulge me. One, I'm gonna do it, even though you told me not to. When that uh, FBI agent is in the electrical room of the prison and he starts coughing, and the other guy's like, <laughs> uh, I couldn't help but think about like how different that scene would play out now uh, if someone was coughing on you, um, because you know obviously we're in different times. But uh, I'm just gonna cross that off my list here and move on. I had to say it. Very here's true. My Very here's true. my last point. Ashley Johnson is in this show, and she, yeah. I don't know if you are if you ever watched Growing Pains, you might have been too young for it, but I remember her, obviously, from Growing Pains, but she's also the voice of, um, oh boy, what's her character, um, video game, Last of Us, my husband plays it. Oh. She's the voice of the main girl, Ellie, or Elle, I think. Yeah. But here's what I think is really interesting. I looked up the show on Wikipedia, and maybe you can tell me if this is true. It sure. says that the character, Ashley Johnson, her character, not the actor's. Yeah. The character is revealed to be the daughter on the show of Bill Nye, the science guy. You know what? Um, <laughs> I feel like that was like a passing joke that they made canon. Um, <laughs> I want to say it's true, though, just like to be silly. I think um, the more interesting thing about her character is, you know, she plays the tech genius, right? And she, yeah. she really, um, I'm not going to lie, that's one of the unfortunate things of the show is that She's just so cute and nice, but that becomes the big thing. Every time they want a dramatic moment, something happens. Something's gonna happen to her character because she's like the most likable. Um, well, but yeah, okay. But they treat her. Um, I, I want to say the Bill Nye thing is true. They give her a lot of fun stuff to work with. Like, um, so one of the, I guess, um, Jane's brother, the at the end of the episode that um, goes bad. He's a big villain in the series. In one episode, she's having like a, I don't, I don't remember if it was a hallucination or just like a daydream, but like he's, she's with him in the elevator and she's just being seduced by him and enjoying it. 
and then she wakes up and is like, you know, embarrassed, like, oh my god, I was having a fantasy about a supervillain, you know? Oh wow! And then uh, yeah, so they give her a lot of good stuff like that, and um, yeah, also her first. You only know that her name is Patterson. You don't know if it's the first name or last name, and oh. they never reveal it either. Interesting. And I think it's just a choice, like that girl from Big Bang Theory. They're just doing it to be silly. That's fun. Okay. Well, it was a, it was a it seemed like it's an interesting show, but I really liked the uh, I liked Rhonda's Rhonda's stint in the episode. It was good. Yeah. Um, final note, just because I was I laughed at it because it was so random, but I loved it because it was very on point. Is um at the climax of the episode, the undercover agent who was trying to befriend Rhonda. Um, spoiler alert, they figure out that she's not their friend and they use her as a hostage switch and put her on a, the trigger. A pressure where, plate bomb or something. Yes, right? a pressure plate bomb. So if they move her, it blows up. And the guy, you know, the other agent is trying to save her and he's trying <laughs> to move this refrigerator onto the, the plate. And so as he's doing this, she looks at him and is like, you think I weigh as much as a fridge? And then, you know, and he says that response to her is like, I'm sorry, but do you see a mini fridge around here? <laughs> and mind you, there's gunshots going off and all this. And um, it was just so silly, but I liked it. it was yeah, it was pretty fun because then he, he does successfully swap her out for the refrigerator. The bomb does not go off, right? So the pressure is maintained. And then she says, oh, I guess I do weigh as much as the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I just thought it was very cute. It was very funny. Yeah. But yeah, so guys, that's it for today's uh, quarantainment for you, as I like to call it. Um, Natalie, <clears throat> I have a surprise for you. Okay. As of next week, we have a fight card. <laughs> UFC 240. We have never been within a week show. Like something has always happened before we get to the one week mark where we would say next week's show will feature. Um, how do you feel about, you know, about, we may get it back. We're definitely going to get it back, man. And I feel great. I'm very excited. I, uh, I, I think that the UFC did the right thing by just essentially buying this place out for a week. I guess you're saying now there's a, there's a fourth one. Is that the same place? I, I don't know. Uh, that would be the 23rd, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, but at the very least, you know, you can control your environment completely or presumably completely for a week, control who goes in and out. And that is the best way to, to lower your chances of, of contamination. So just, uh, you know, best of luck to the UFC staff who's going to be in charge of a really, really heavy um, undertaking to, to keep all the fighters and staff safe and uh, make them feel safe and actually keep them safe. And so that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, a lot of pressure, and so fingers crossed, best of luck. We just want everyone to come out healthy, and I'm, I'm grateful for uh, the effort they're putting in to entertain us. Obviously, they want to make money, too, but to entertain us. We, I think we could all use it. No, I completely agree with you. Um, so, guys, next week, UFC 249, um, I'll say it right now, can Tony Ferguson keep this thing going, or can Justin Gaethje spoil everything? That's the only storyline I think that we're going to remember when it's all said and done, outside of the fact of the obvious. So, all right, I'm ready. Next week, <laughs> we're going to preview some fights again for the first time in forever. Yep, buckle up. <laughs> all right, so guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Natalie, where can they find you? 
I am hanging out on Twitter at Natalie Zamudio underscore on Instagram at Zamudio Rama. Guys, we will be back next week.